Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Johnny Erickson Tata on the blessing of the practice of the presence of Jesus. And so, just like Brother Lawrence in the 1600s, God calls us today to practice His presence in the everyday, ordinary tasks of life. Johnny Erickson Tata, next. The life and insights of disability advocate and quadriplegic Johnny Erickson Tata are intertwined with that of a monk who lived in 1600s France in her new book, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus. Johnny takes inspiration from numerous quotes from Brother Lawrence's book, The Practice of the Presence of God. Stay tuned as Johnny, who is an author, artist, and founder of Johnny and Friends, gives us thoughts on drawing near to the Lord. Johnny, at the beginning of the book, John Sloan writes a brief but intimate biographical sketch of you. Tell us about your upbringing, if you would, your family, and the role of Christianity and the church. Well, uh, I was raised in a family who loved the Lord Jesus and had a very athletic, outgoing family, um, playing tennis with my mother, uh, loving to go hiking with my dad, um, swimming. Uh, we, We were just very athletic and very close-knit family. And um, so when I broke my neck at the age of 17, that was uh, quite a shock, not just to me, but to the whole family. And it really shook up uh, the faith of all of us. You know, how could God allow something like this awful tragedy to help within our family? Because it did not only disrupt my life, it disrupted the lives of my mother and father. Mm. I mean, you know, retirement, you know, out the window, uh, you know, working longer years, uh, harder years, and and um, my sisters uh, having to give up um, going to college that first year, and so so it it mm-hmm. it really hit hard my whole family. But we discovered that the challenges of my disability really drew us all closer to Christ. In fact, um, my sisters. Uh, I mean, I was always close to them, but this time uh, it was different. These were the sisters now who had to uh, do my toileting routines, who had to wash my hair, brush my teeth, wipe my nose. And that developed a, a closer kind of intimacy between myself and my, my sisters, my family. So I look back on that as a rich experience, a hard one, but a very rich experience for all of the Ericsons. Well, Johnny, there's so much to say, obviously, and I want to get to to this book and to the daily meditations and talking to you about that. But, but what scripture, what people, what books? This is a really broad, kind of a general question. But most comforted, strengthened you during those early years and gave you hope as you were adjusting to this new reality. Well, I'm a pragmatist, and so I was looking for scriptures that would help me get up out of this depression and discouragement that I had found myself in once doctors told me that I would never walk again or have use of my hands. I'd be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. And the scripture that I guess was most practical was in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I didn't want to do that at first. I just didn't feel thankful. And I didn't want to be a hypocrite. And I, mm-hmm. and so 
I said to my friend, but I cannot do that. It's too big. I mean, you're talking about a life of total paralysis. And he said, well, then start smaller. Hmm. Take life in bite-sized manageable chunks and find things for which you can give thanks. Small things, little things. And so I began doing that, Bill. Um, my hospital bed was by the window. At least I was able to sit up in a wheelchair and not lie in bed anymore. Um, I could go to physical therapy. I was learning new skills. Uh, my friends were so supportive as well as my family. And this is what I gave thanks for. And through the obedience of giving thanks for small things, little things, um, a hot meal at night and a good breakfast in the morning, I began to feel thankful over the months. And uh, mm. I think that was really a, um, a gift of God. He, I think, rewarded me for the obedience of giving thanks. He rewarded me with the emotion of thankfulness. And I often tell people when they are struggling uh, and not sure how to get up out of the blues, start counting your blessings, start giving thanks. And even if you don't feel thankful, mouth your thankfulness and trust that God uh, will give you those emotions eventually. So I think that was one of the big scriptures that helped me in the beginning. Well, Johnny, you, you write that you're in this book, that your quadriplegia has taught you how to swim in the depths of God. And, and I'm wondering, what is the connection between your pain and, or our pain, between pain in general and, and nearness to God? Well, our Savior was a man of sufferings acquainted with grief. Our Savior set his face like flint toward the cross. He walked that hard, long, blood-stained road to Calvary. And so if we are going to expect intimacy with him and nearness and sweetness with him, then I think we are called to walk a similar path. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, uh, that Christ set us an example uh, by the things which he suffered. And so we are to follow in his steps. And those steps will take us down the long road to the cross. And of course, that is a daily picking up your cross and dying to self and living for him. It's not easy. It's hard. But I think it is a pathway to joy because God shares his joy on his terms. And those terms call for us to, in some measure, suffer as his precious son suffered while he was on earth. Um, no one, as somebody has said or written, nobody, nobody goes to Christ's heaven uh, where there's eternal joy forever, unless first they, uh, they pick up Christ's cross. And, and besides, here in America, so many of us are content to wade in the shallows of knowing Christ. You know, we're satisfied mm -hmm. with a little bit of biblical doctrine, a little bit of theology, a little bit of uh, church attendance, a little bit of prayer, a little bit of Bible study. But very few of us want to be picked up by God and thrown out into the deep end where we are required to dig deep and worship and pray and grasp hold of, of Christ's angles and you know the foot of the cross and not let go. So I think suffering is God's way of picking us up out of the shallows mm. of our faith and and throwing us out into the depths of himself where sometimes we can't even touch bottom. It's so painful. But then we learn to lean on 
our only life preserver, our rescuer, our deliverer, uh, our savior, um, and that is Jesus Christ. So uh, that's what I mean when I talk about the depths of of, uh, of God as opposed to the shallows of knowing him. Mm. Well, Johnny, in that, in that respect, um, just sort of parenthetically, before we did this conversation here, you mentioned that you've had some uh, health challenges this year a couple of times dealing with pneumonia, and it, it applies directly to what we just talked about. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, this year I was... Uh, hospitalized twice for double pneumonia mm. uh, for for a total of 45 days in the hospital altogether. And um, Bill, it made me lean hard on God's grace because there were some nights where I honestly felt like I was drowning in my own lung uh, moisture and, I, and I, I just couldn't get a breath. And I thought, God, is this time? But thankfully I got good care at the hospital. But you know what perked up my spirits the most? Ken and I decided, you know what? This hospitalization is not a detour. God's not sending us off on some detour until we can get back to normal. This is the main road. This is the highway. Mm. This is where God wants us. And so we're going to make the most of it. And so we gave scriptures to nurses and doctors and hospital aides and x-ray technicians and radiologists and people who came at 4 a.m. to draw my blood. I mean, we were, you know, I would say things like um, some nurse might be kind to me or some x-ray technician. And I say, sir, you know what you remind me? You remind me of the Lord Jesus. And they give me an odd look like, what? I said, because, you know, he came not to be served, but to serve. And look what a good job you are doing serving me here in this hospital bed. Thank you so much. And so we just kept doing that. And it was, I don't know. When you get yourself, your focus off yourself and your own pains and problems and start thinking about the spiritual plight of this person who doesn't know Christ, oh my goodness, your suffering start to pale in comparison when you think that they might be lost for all of eternity. So we dropped lots and lots and lots of gospel seeds throughout those 45 days in the hospital. So as you said, uh, and that's wonderful, that the hospital... It could easily be seen as a detour. You're sidelined, but you're saying no. That's that is the road. That's that's, that's the, road the main the road. I think when you trust in a sovereign God and believe in the extent of His dominion and His rule, then you learn to look at rude interruptions as the main thing, hmm. you know, because all things are designed and planned by the Lord Jesus from before the foundation of the world. All of our days were preordained and written in his book, it says in the Bible. So uh, those 45 days, God was thinking about those 45 days for a long, 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 long time. And so uh, I should not consider them as an interruption or a detour. That's the big deal. Those were the That was the main highway. Well, my guest today on His People is Johnny Erickson Tata. She is the founder of Johnny and Friends, and we're talking about or we're about to talk about her new book, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus. And Johnny, the tremendous influence on this book was a man named Brother Lawrence and his book, The Practice of the Presence of God. And I'm wondering if you can tell us uh, how you were introduced to, to him and his writing and and uh, how it inspired you to, to write this, this book. Well, I read uh, The Practice of the Presence of God, Brother Lawrence's classic book, uh, what, 
55 years ago when I was in high school. Hmm. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a book that everybody was reading back then. And um, let me explain for our audience that uh, Brother Lawrence was a Carmelite monk who grew up in a peasant family, very poor. He found his way into a, a monastery and there he encountered Christ and uh, was set to work right away by the, by the uh, other brothers in, in scrubbing pots and pans and kitchen floors and latrines and, and scrubbing the, the monastery hallways. And, and in so doing, uh, with those menial tasks, he, he developed a practice of, of, of inviting God into everyday moments. And Bill, that's kind of the way I live in this wheelchair. Mm. And just as I described a moment ago about in the hospital, you, 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 you see that as an opportunity to make Christ real to someone else in the everyday ordinary moment of, let's say, uh, some uh, hospital aid coming to feed you breakfast, give you breakfast. Uh, we had such a ministry to the women who delivered our, our hospital food trays. You know, th but that's practicing the presence of Jesus right there. You, you, you just take advantage. You seize the opportunity. As Ephesians says, you make the most of the moment. You, you don't let any moment slip by. Teach me to number my days that I might apply uh, my heart unto your kind of wisdom, God. And so just like Brother Lawrence in the 1600s, uh, God calls us today to practice his presence in the everyday ordinary tasks of life. And that's what this book is all about that I just wrote, uh, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus. I just want people to experience Jesus and to make him real to everyone around them through the... Uh, ordinary menial duties of life and it's, it's it's it was a great book to write and it's been even uh more exciting to live mm. how was the book birthed and can you contrast it a little bit your book and brother lawrence's book how those uh, excerpts and in your devotionals how they intersect right well brother lawrence talks a lot about god i talk a lot about jesus and uh on the left side of the page I will quote one of Brother Lawrence's uh, insights, which are all so precious. I mean, they're all so valuable. Mm -hmm. um, but then I expand on it a little bit and flesh it out and help people understand it from, from a New Testament grace perspective. And uh, so between Brother Lawrence and myself, I think you get a full orbed picture of uh, God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So you get a, get a really holistic perspective on what the great triune God has to say to you in your everyday tasks of life. Now, when you talk about practicing the presence of Jesus, and you gave us a wonderful example, a couple examples of it, is it, as the Scripture says, is it, in a sense, praying without ceasing? Uh, well, that, that might be a way of putting it. You pray without ceasing, don't you? and you live Christ without ceasing. You and I, we are, uh, we are branches uh, that are a part of the vine. You know, we are not smartphones that get plugged into a charger in order to get our batteries revitalized. That, those are not the metaphors that the Bible invites us to use when it talks about practicing the presence of Christ. No, we don't, we don't ever disconnect from him. We're, we're always connected 
And if we do not have a conscious awareness, realization of that, if we do not apprehend that, grasp that, then we are missing out on what Jesus called the abundant Christian life. We're missing out on so much. In fact, God cautions us, uh, Jesus does in his word. You know, if you're not fruitful, if you're not productive uh, spiritually, you just might be one of those who could be lopped off if you don't watch out. So do not take God for granted. Do not take your salvation for granted. Never think of your salvation as a sinner's prayer that you offered up when you were 21 and at camp and you've signed that dotted line and now you can put your Christian faith up on the shelf and pretty much keep it there until you die and then pull it down uh, or maybe also pull it down during Christmas or Easter or special Sundays. Mm-hmm. No, that's not the way uh, of, of, of the Christ-filled life. Uh, that's not even a Christian life. Um, that's a plastic life of, that's pretend fruit, that's styrofoam fruit, as it were. And God wants us to uh, experience that warm, real, tender intimacy with him every single day. So none of us dare wake up in the morning, do our little uh, quiet time, and then rush out the front door on automatic cruise control thinking, well, you know, I, I kind of got this Christian thing figured out. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've got the spiritual lay of the land. I, I, I pretty much can handle it from here, God. So, you know, just we did our quiet time back there in the house, but I got it from here. And if I need you, I'll check in with you. That's not the way we're supposed to live at all. So uh, that was one reason why I felt it was timely to write The Practice of the Presence of Jesus, the daily thing, an hourly thing. Johnny, what are some of the themes you explore in your devotional with the prompting of Brother Lawrence? Oh, there's all kinds of themes. There is uh, gratitude, thankfulness. There is worship. I I write a lot about worship. Uh, I remember going on a a cruise with my mother and grandmother Mm. while my dad was uh, uh, away on business. And we went to Bermuda and I was only like 10 years old. Hmm. But I remember standing with my mother outside on the deck in a storm. And we held fast to the railing. And the ocean was heaving and tossing. And the rain was whipping. And I just, I was enthralled. Oh, this is awesome. <laughs> this is exciting. And that's the way our worship should be. Mm-hmm. We, we, we should grab hold of some biblical doctrine and chew on it until we can say, this is awesome. This is exciting. I've never experienced this. This is wonderful. Uh, I remember once uh, going into the produce section of of our market down here at Gelson's, and they had an exotic produce stand outside, and and so I purchased what was called an Asian pear, Mm -hmm. and I took a bite of it. And it was an explosion of flavor I'd never experienced in my life. And my first response was, God, you are so awesome. Just look at you. You created this thing for my pleasure. You invented, you designed this. This is like nothing I've ever tasted, God. You are so amazing. I mean, right there, a moment of worship. Mm -hmm. So our worship really should be that emotional. If we become tired or ordinary, or if our Sunday morning uh, worship experience has become mundane 
or run of the mill, that it's time to get on our knees and say, Holy Spirit, revive my heart, refresh my heart, renew me, give me the, the love, the first love that I had at the beginning for you. Do that in my life, Lord God. And I think we're well on our way to experiencing what, uh, what God designed worship to be. So again, that's just one of the themes I've mm -hmm. explored in this new book. Will you... Uh Right, I think one question at the end of every devotional or at the end of every meditation, what is the purpose of the questions? Well, again, I, I write these vignettes that are little lessons uh, that include experiences that I've had. I expand on various scriptures that have that that I want you know to illustrate uh, what I'm what I'm talking about. But there there needs to be some kind of action point, mm -hmm. some kind of uh, challenge to the reader yeah and so those little meditations on each page at the bottom of my uh, devotional vignette are meant to inspire refresh challenge teach push the reader to take the next step examine his own heart look at his own life and and how can i how can i step into this new level of trust and confidence in my savior so it's it's a book meant to uh push you onto the next level of your walk with the Lord Jesus. I hope I'm remembering this correctly, Johnny. In one of your meditations, you write, it is possible to trust God at all times. How is that possible? Well, Psalm 62, verse 8 says so. Trust in the Lord at all times. I'm not making that yeah. up. <laughs> uh, it says that. And so we must be able to do it. If the Bible says it, mm -hmm. it's like, what, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says, um, do everything without complaining. Is that possible? Can we actually go through life without complaining? Well, the Bible thinks we can. And so, again, it's challenging mm -hmm. uh, the reader to take God at his word and say, Lord, I can see that I've got a complaining spirit. I can see how judgmental and critical I am of others. I can see how easily I collapse into resentment. I don't want to be like that. I want to be a different person than I was yesterday. And Bill, that's a prayer that I, I pray often. I'll say, God, I don't want to be the same Johnny that I was yesterday. Mm. I want to be a different Johnny today. I want to be a Johnny who is honed and shaped more into your likeness. I want to get more actively engaged in my own sanctification today. So show me how to do it and help me to take your word seriously and really grab it and apply it to my life. Johnny, you may have, I think you did answer this in one way early on, but how does practicing the presence of Jesus help you and, and the reader or the listener to this endure pain and suffering? Well, I don't think there is anybody who can go through suffering without him uh, and yet keep a tender heart. Suffering can very quickly harden us. We can become jaded, cynical, only by walking with Christ, uh, do our hearts remain pliable and tender uh, toward life, toward others, and toward our Savior. So when we suffer, uh, let's see ourselves on that road to Calvary, as it were. God has put us on that road. And so how can we more obediently follow him and stay hot on his heels as we lay down our, our burdens and our weariness at the foot of the cross. So um, 
don't ever dare to endure uh, hardship and, and not immediately think of Christ first off. You know, some people say, well, last resort, okay, let's pray about it. <laughs> right. No, it should be the first resort, <clears throat> right, Bill? Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And, and, and Johnny, I'm wondering, how does your new book, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus, intersect with the ministry of Johnny and Friends? Well, of course, um, I am always excited about people becoming more aware of what we do at Johnny and Friends. Of course, we uh, have an outreach to thousands and thousands of people with disabilities and their families across the U.S. and around the world. Uh, we've delivered over 250,000 wheelchairs, Bibles. We hold retreats uh, for families that struggle with disability here in the States, but also in developing nations this year, 78 uh, retreats and getaways. And, and so um, I'm always wanting more people to become aware of who we are at Johnny and Friends and our love for serving the least, last, littlest people who are the neediest, most oft forgotten and ignored and neglected. Mm -hmm. That's usually people with disabilities, children and adults, women with disabilities. So uh, I, I'm always you know, hoping that my books reach some new reader who might want to follow up with me, the author, but then find out that it's not about me. It's about those people out there who have so little. I mean, I'm a very blessed quadriplegic. But there are other quadriplegics and paraplegics around the world who have nothing, absolutely nothing. And I, I want to wring every ounce of effort out of this body to reach them for Christ. And I'm always inviting people to join me on that journey. You write that there's something, I don't know that this is your exact wording, but something counterintuitive about growing in Christ. There's often a growing, unsettling awareness of our sin which for some people might think, wait a minute, I would think that I would think less about my sin, but you say it, no, we're, we're more but, aware of it. Yeah, it's a good closing thought because, you know, we normally think that the more righteous, the more set apart, sanctified, mm -hmm. the more holy, if our lives are holy, we think, um, it's natural to think that then you have an exalted view of yourself. Oh, I am so much better than I was this time last year. But no, we, the best indication of whether or not you're living a holy life is do you have an increased, increased awareness of your own sin? Hmm. Because the more sanctified you are in your walk with Christ, the more you'll realize, oh my goodness, there are so many hidden chambers in my heart that I have not yet handed over to the Holy Spirit for cleansing. We don't see it though. Um, when um, we think of ourselves as having arrived or being more righteous than the next person. Um, usually our quick response is to think that others know less about the Lord than we do, but often it's the other way around. And um, the more holy we live, uh, the holier our lives, uh, the more we will be aware of how much more yet we need to give over to the Lord God for cleansing and repentance. What is your hope for how these meditations will affect or change the reader? Oh, to glorify God. Because I don't want, I mean, I want God to get as much glory from the, his body as possible. I want his bride to be radiant. I, I, I want us all to arrive at the pearly gates and not have God 
have to do a whole lot of work on us. You know what I mean? I want us to arrive ready for the wedding banquet of the Lamb. I pray that all of us will live more um, circumspectly, will shake light, shine salt, reflect Christ. It's going to turn our world upside down if people live like that. I mean, and, and, and how pleased, how delighted this would make the Heavenly Father. So my book, I hope, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus will help people in that journey. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Johnny Erickson Tata, founder of Johnny and Friends and author of The Practice of the Presence of Jesus. Go to johnnyandfriends.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Robert Walgamuth on preparing for the end of our lives. It's very practical, but it's also very um, spiritual. It's very Christ-centered. Because if you die without Christ, that's a whole different scenario. That's the scriptures very clear. Those those who die without knowing Christ, those who die in their sin rather than forgiven of their sin, spend a life separated from God. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening. <laughs>